Thank you for listening to a sermon from the District Church. For more information about us, please visit www.thedistrict.church. Additionally, if any of our sermons have brought encouragement to you, would you please let us know by emailing us at info at Amen. You guys can go ahead and grab a seat. And if you would, turn in your Bibles to John chapter 15. We're continuing on in our series in Abide and... One of the things that I, I love that Josh um, hit on this in his in his confession is just the idea of the relationship between works and love, the, the relationship between works and us abiding in Christ, and specifically the angst and, and constant battle that we feel on a daily basis that we're either not doing enough, we're not measuring up enough, uh, we're not keeping God's favor. God's not pleased with us. He's disappointed with us. And this one specifically is the message where we get into the idea of obedience. Um, and so looking looking at this passage um, was was kind of daunting coming into it because even coming into it, just like Josh confessed himself, like there's there's still moments where I find myself trusting in my own ability. I find myself trusting in whether or not I'm doing enough, whether or not I'm talking to enough people, whether or not I'm studying enough, am I smart enough, am I gifted enough, am I praying enough, am I doing these things enough, because if I do these things, then maybe God will then do something with us, whether it's with me or with our church or with our community. And so a lot of times I run into that battle of everything that God is going to do is tied to what I do. And that's just not true. That's just not biblical. Yes, there are hundreds of lists of do's and don'ts that we find in Scripture. But today what we're going to be looking at is is really the theology behind what Jesus is talking about when he says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. By keeping my commandments, you are abiding in me. You are following me. You are trusting me. You are in me, and I am in you. And so this issue is not based around how much can I do for him, but rather because of how much he's done for me leads me into this relationship of wanting to do. And so we're going to be looking at this specifically um, in John chapter 15. And so as you're there, we're going to read uh, John 15, 1 through 17, like we've been doing each week. We're going to read it aloud, read it together, um, so that we just continue growing in the familiarity of this passage um, so that it's, it's right at the end of our just intellectual fingertips, that it's right there at the end of our tongue to where when there's times where we're struggling with, am I doing enough, if, am I doing this, am I working this, do I feel like God's not present or this and that, We can run to verses like this where he says, I'm there. I'm with you. I'm sending the Father to be with you. I'm sending the Spirit to be with you. I'm I'm there. I'm abiding in you as you are also abiding in me as I'm abiding in the Father. Like these are truths. These are promises that Jesus has given to us. And so we're able to run to passages like this when we feel like we're alone, where we feel like God is far, and we're able to come to these passages and see the fact that he's there. Not only is he there, but he's in us. And not only is he in us, but he's working and that he's moving. We don't always have to feel that. 
We don't even have to always know that. Because the reality is, is it's there. It's never based on how much we know about Jesus, whether or not he's moving in us. It's never based on how much we feel about Jesus, whether or not he's working in us. It's not based on how much we do for him, whether or not he's in us. He's in us on his own initiative. And we're going to be seeing that today based on the love that he brings to us that change and transforms us, that produces within us a love for him. And once we have that love for him, it then overcomes everything else that we struggle with, and then we get to reap the benefits of an even greater love that he provides to us that he does not provide for others. And so John 15, 1 through 17, you got your Bibles there. Open them up, starting in verse 1, and just read along with me. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he prunes and takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. Father, we thank you so much for the reading of your word and the access to your word, the freedom that we have to be able to see the truth about you, to see the truth of who you are, your character, your identity, your essence, And to be able to see that who you are is a God who pursues and loves and provides and sacrifices and gives good gifts to those who love your son, Jesus. And God, today, as we as we wrestle through this passage of keeping commandments and having obedience for you, God, let us see that these commandments and obedience are not you asking for our begrudging submission, but rather because of all that you've given us in the person of your son, Jesus, and because of the gospel, the good news 
that he has provided everything in order for you to be pleased with us. These commands are meant to lead us into freedom, not into slavery and bondage. These commands are meant to lead us into a deeper and intimate and loving and abiding relationship with your son, not a list of rules for us to make sure that you are pleased with us. Because, God, we know that you are already infinitely pleased with us because of what your son Jesus has done. So, Father, let us be able to see your truth in the text today. Let us see it and let us begin to treasure it and value it far above anything that we already understood or already thought about. God, if there's, if there's um, misunderstandings in our own minds, in our own hearts, regarding what it means to be in relationship with you and what it means to obey your commands, God, would you make that clear to us today? Would you help us understand how it is that these two things work together for your glory and for our joy, for our enjoyment, for our love, and for our affection to be stirred up for you and you alone? So, Father, we ask that your Holy Spirit would be in this place today, that your Holy Spirit would be speaking through me, and that it's not my opinions, it's not my words, but it's coming from your word. And God, that you would change our hearts, our minds, and our souls to be stirred up to love you more and more and more. It's in your name we pray. Amen. As we celebrated this last week, we celebrated July 4th, Freedom of America. Um, and so it's very patriotic week. Um, we, we literally celebrate it by shooting off bombs, essentially, in the air. Um, it, it, it's something that we get to do because we were able to free ourselves from the bondage of, of others, essentially telling us how it's going to be. And what we need to do today is be able to come into this place and realize that that we do the exact same things to ourselves. What our flesh does is it enslaves us to a list of rights and wrongs, do's and don'ts regarding righteousness. What our flesh constantly does is says there is perfection that you need to attain. And in order for you to attain that perfection, you have to do a certain amount of things that are right and you have to withhold from doing a certain amount of things that are wrong. And as long as you do those things perfectly, you will attain righteousness. And once you get there, God will be pleased with you and will accept you as you are and then bring you into a relationship with him. That's what we're constantly battling in our minds every single day. Every single day is our flesh telling us, you're not measuring up. Like we're lying to ourselves about this, right? Like, I don't even have to have other people tell me you need to do more or you need to do less. I don't even have to have Scripture tell me that I need to do more or that I need to do less. Because I'm constantly telling myself every single day, you're not measuring up. Because we're designed this way. We're designed to produce something. We're designed in order to make something happen that's going to either be good or bad. And because we are born with a flesh that is enslaved to sin, 
our entire life is going to constantly be, you may know the right thing to do, that's what you need to try to do, and you're constantly going to be doing the wrong thing, thinking you're doing the right thing. Proverbs tells us this all the time, of um, the, 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 we think we know the way to righteousness, but yet it leads to destruction. We think we know the way that is right, yet we constantly keep battling with ourselves and it ends up being the wrong thing. I mean, we literally live our lives by trial and error. How do we love our spouses? Trial and error. How do we love our kids? Trial and error. How do we do well in our jobs? Trial and error. Like, it's constantly, what can I do in order to achieve? And then if it didn't work out, then let me try something else in order to get there. And what's mistakenly happened in church culture, and this has been going on for 2,000 years, this was going on in first century for the fact that they had to write about this to each other, was that we take that same concept of our flesh telling us what we need to do and not do, and we've worked it into Christianity, and unfortunately we've left what God actually says out of the mix, and we then move into moral behavior modification we lived in we've literally called what theologians say is moralistic therapeutic deism we look at moralism we look at what is right and wrong and because we want to jump into what is right and wrong we then think that that is going to be what provides therapy for us we think that's going to be what provides goodness for us we think that's what's going to give us peace is when we figure it out in our own ways what's right and wrong once we get there we'll feel good about ourselves and because we think we will feel good about ourselves it then becomes our deity it becomes our god and so right and wrong and the pursuit of right and wrong then becomes what we put our trust and hope in and what john is telling us in john 15 as he's recording these words from Jesus when he says to abide in me and to keep my commandments for those who love me. He's saying the idea of doing right and wrong is never meant to be what Jesus was teaching. Rather, what Jesus was teaching was a loving relationship with me is going to be what produces for you the ability to understand right and wrong and to then live a life that reflects it. So what John's trying to get to, and the reason why he throws in the middle of this, the recording of Jesus teaching, abide in me, love me, trust me, follow me, receive me, live in me. Right in the middle of that, he throws in those who keep my commandments. The reason why he does that is because it's engulfed and enveloped in the idea of a relationship with Jesus first and foremost. And that's what my job today is, is to show you that this is not based on anything that you can do to make it work for yourself, but rather something that Jesus has already done to make it work for you. And then we now have true freedom to be able to then live in the do's and don'ts without ever feeling the weight of disappointment, without ever feeling the weight of I'm not measuring up. Rather, I get to do these things because I'm free to do these things, not I have to do these things because God will then be pleased with me, but rather he's already pleased with me. So the best way to understand this relationship between keeping his commandments and abiding in his love is actually in the previous chapter, John 14, 15 through 24. So turn back with me to John, just over one chapter, John 14. I'm going to read 15 through 24, and then 
and then break it down for you from there. John 14, starting in verse 15. Jesus says, and this is a promise that he gives to us, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to do or to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me, because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. He's starting to get into that abiding terminology there. Verse 21, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, so this is not the betrayer. Judas said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my Father will love him and will come to, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. So a couple of things, a couple of observations right out of the gate with this passage. Is first, he's making explicit that these gifts, these promises, are only to those who love Jesus, not to those who are in the world. And I need to do a little bit of work on that, because that sounds very exclusive and kind of uh, bullying, if you want to say it that way. The reality is, is, is there's two different types of love that the Father is initiating and providing and giving. You have John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he sent his son Jesus that whoever believes in him would not, would not perish but receive everlasting life. You have the initiating love of God. This love of God is for all people, the entire world. He is sending his son in order to provide for them forgiveness, peace, satisfaction, anything they need in order to then live a satisfying life because they're finding it in Christ alone. God is sending this love to the entire world. He loves the world that much to do that. What this passage is talking about is what happens to those who then believe in this Jesus whom the Father sent. So there's the initiating love of God that is for the entire world. For those who then believe in Jesus, this passage then picks up from there and is saying for those who then love him, believe in him, this is what the Father is doing. So those are explicitly different things. There are gifts and love and intimacy and caring relationships that we experience as believers from the Father that the world does not experience. And they will not experience apart from a relationship with Christ. They will not experience apart from coming to faith in Jesus and believing in Him. First, understanding and seeing the initiating love of God, sending His Son Jesus to them. Once they accept Him and come into the family, they then get to experience this fuller, more intimate love that the Father gives to his own. Look at verses 16 and 17. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, 
because it neither sees him nor knows him. So how do you get access to the Spirit? You've got to know Jesus first. So we are the only ones who get to experience the intimacy of the Holy Spirit coming to us that the world does not get to experience. The world gets to see on the bitter side of life, Jesus. Because they they see Jesus anywhere and everywhere. They see Jesus when they interact with believers. They see Jesus when they step foot into churches. They see Jesus when they open up scripture. But they do not get to see nor experience the Holy Spirit in an intimate, personal way that we as believers get to experience because we've been baptized into the Holy Spirit. Verse 19. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Jesus is getting into that ascension talk now. You realize when he's writing this, when Jesus is telling the disciples this, he's merely hours away from his crucifixion. And he's telling them, when I go away, the world will not see me physically anymore, but you will see me because I'm sending a helper to you. I'm sending the Spirit to you. That Spirit and I are in union with one another, so you will continue to be in relationship with me and see me, yet the world will not unless they accept me. Verse 22, Judah said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? So we see here the difference between Jesus doing something for those who are believers in him that he's not doing for the world that's around him. And this is something that we are going to be experiencing today as we talk about this love that he is showing and experiencing to us. This gift of intimacy and help and love and abiding being promised to us that the world does not get to experience. And what is promised here is something so personal, so intimate, so reciprocal and relational that the world cannot receive it apart from an abiding relationship with Jesus and him alone. That's the first observation. This ability to keep his commandments is only possible for those who are in Christ. Don't you see how if the only way to keep commandments are by having the Holy Spirit come into us and then and then basically control and compel our souls to then love and desire and want Christ, if that's the only way to keep the commandments, how daunting it is to try to keep the commandments apart from a relationship with Christ. Nothing more daunting than trying to keep the commandments, trying to keep the laws in Scripture apart from a relationship with Christ. It's impossible. These commandments do not lead us into an abiding relationship, but rather through an abiding relationship, we are to keep these commandments. And we'll flesh that out more in a minute. The second observation is that those who do receive these gifts, these promises, this love, we're not simply called Christians, not simply called believers, but we are called four times in this text, those who love Jesus. Those who love him. I've never met a true believer who does not love Jesus. I've never met a true Christian who does not love Jesus. That doesn't mean that you won't ever be angry at him or frustrated with him or upset at him or feel distant from him or feel like you don't know him. But there is a love there. There's a desire there. There's an affection there. You see this, verses 15 and 16. 
If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Verse 21, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father. This is not a love God has for the world. This is personal, intimate, relational, affectionate, committed love from the father only for those who love Jesus. Verse 23, Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him. Now, we know from Romans 5, 8, because as we listen to these verses, it's easy to jump into the boat of it sounds like the father will only love me if I love him. It sounds like the father will only love me if I'm keeping his commandments. So it sounds like there's kind of a contract here that as long as I'm doing something for him, as long as I'm giving expression to him, as long as I'm offering up affections to him, then he'll love me. And the reality is, is, is you can get into the semantics of what comes first and what comes second as far as what the literature says here. But what the reality of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation is always preaching and is always saying is that there's an initiating love of God that jumpstarts the whole thing for us. That is huge because in anything that we do between us and God, God is always first. You're never going to beat him to the punch. You're never going to love him before he is loved you. You're never going to serve him before he has served you. You're never going to do good for him before he has done good to you. Romans 5, 8. God shows his love for us in that while we were what? While we were what? Sinners. Enemies. He laid down his life for us. God didn't wait for us to love him before he loved us. John, who's recording this text, believes this he says in first john 4 19 wrote that same book first john 4 19 he says we love because god first loved us there's no doubt about that so this is not a as long as i'm loving him and as long as i'm doing his commandments as long as i'm doing those things that he will then love me but no this is god pursued and loved me which brought me into a loving relationship with him and now that I'm in a loving relationship with him, he then overwhelms me with an increasing, lavishing love that we do not experience before Christ. So we experience love from God when he sends Jesus. Brings us into a loving and abiding relationship with him. And now that we're in this abiding and loving relationship with Jesus, the Father turns up the knot. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and the Father will then love you. This is a greater, deeper, more intimate love than we've ever seen. We love because he first loved us. Loving Jesus isn't a matter of doing excellent things. It's a matter of delighting in an excellent Savior. Bottom line, loving Jesus is not a matter of us doing excellent things it's rather us delighting in an excellent Savior. And here's another glorious truth. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father. God's love precedes, enables our love, and God then responds to our love with a unique, personal, intimate, affectionate, caring, committed love that belongs only to those who love his Son. Those are the first two introductory observations 
this love is a love that the world does not experience apart from Christ. And not only that, but when we come to Christ and we enter into this loving relationship, we then experience a greater love that the Father does not show the world. Because we are in the family. So what does it mean then if, if, if all of this is tied to him saying, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you will be obedient. Because the reality is I'm not going to spend a lot of time on obedience here. Because obedience does not lead you to loving Jesus, but rather loving Jesus is what leads us into obedience. So I don't have to get into, like the title of the sermon is Obedience is Abiding. I don't have to get into how your life is going to be obedient to God. I don't have to get into how much time you should spend studying Scripture or how much time you should spend in prayer or how much time you should spend sharing the gospel with those around you. I don't have to get into literally the quantity of your obedience, but rather the quality of the love you have for Jesus is what we're going to be looking at today. Because it's that that leads to those other things. Jesus tells us four times that this love is of such nature that it results in the keeping of his commandments. So this love is the key part here. Verse 15, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Verse 21, whoever has my commandments, he it is who loves me. We even see this in, in our text, John 15, 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Love is always attached to commandments. And so the first thing to notice is that loving Jesus is not the same as keeping his commandments. Like my love for Jesus is not dictated upon how much I do for him. But rather, how much I do for him is dictated upon how much I love him. How much affections I have for him. How much desire I have for him. How much want I have for him. Because if it was the other way around, how much would be enough before you felt you could prove you were worthy to enter into a relationship with someone who's perfect in every way? Like, think about that. If, if our love for him was dictated upon how much I do for him, then when we kind of run like a, just an hour test on our lives throughout the week and just see how much we do for him, what that's going to produce is I'm going to feel like I barely love him when it's compared to his perfection and how much he's done for us. So the track here is not based upon how much we do, but rather how much he's done for us that then is producing within us affections for him. Keeping his word is the result of our love for him, not the same as loving him. Verse 15, just read it this way. If you love me, the result will be that you keep my commandments. In verse 23, if anyone loves me, the result will be that we will keep his word. So it's all about the love to begin with. So what is this love for Jesus that gives rise to keeping the commandments of Jesus? One thing that is important to mention is that Jesus has no defects. Jesus has no faults. Zero imperfections in him. 
Therefore, this love that we have for Jesus cannot be compared to the way in which we love each other. We do not love Jesus the way Jesus loves us. Because there are a lot of times where Jesus loves us in spite of our sin, right? Do we love Jesus in spite of him? Do we love Jesus in spite of anything that he's done wrong? We don't love Jesus the way that we love each other. Like, I've never had to extend grace to Jesus because he wronged me in some way or another, right? I mean, how many times do we talk about that as, as friends? Like, I love you. I just got, I got to extend some grace to you right now. I just don't like you right now. I'm going to love you in a way in which I'm going to overlook your imperfections because that's what Christ has done for me. Like, this is a common way in which we love one another is I'm going to love you even though I don't like you. We do not love Jesus that same way. We love Jesus because he is desirable. He's admirable. He's beautiful. He's perfect in every single way. Love for Jesus is entirely deserved on his part. We don't love him because he is in need of our love. C.S. Lewis used to say when he was reading through the Psalms that he used to picture God as this old woman who was desperate for compliments. And then C.S. Lewis came to faith and believed in Jesus and grew to have this love for Jesus to where now when he looks at the Psalms, he realizes it was never a command to praise me and worship me and adore me as if I'm lacking in anything, but rather it's you need to praise me and adore me and worship me because you're lacking and you need me. You need a relationship with me. You need a relationship with perfection and holiness and righteousness because that's the best thing that you're ever going to experience in this world. Everything else that we experience in this world is imperfect, including relationships, Jobs, children, anything that we interact with. Churches are imperfect. And so if we place our satisfaction and hope in those things, we're never going to be satisfied. But when we place our affections and hope and satisfaction in a perfect Savior, we will ultimately be satisfied in those things. That's why Jesus deserves our love is because he's perfect. He's loved not in spite of what he is, but because of all that he is. We love him. It's desiring him because he's infinitely desirable. It's admiring him because he's infinitely admirable. It's treasuring him because he's infinitely valuable. It's enjoying him because he's infinitely enjoyable. It's being satisfied with all that he is because he is infinitely satisfying. It's the reflex of the awakened and newborn human soul to all that is true and good and beautiful embodied in Jesus alone. We love him because of who he is, not because of what he commands us to do. The things he commands us to do leads us into seeing more of who he is, which increases our affections for him. It's all about him, not what he wants us to do. It's an invitation into seeing and treasuring him. Loving Jesus is not a matter of doing excellent things, but rather 
delighting in an excellent Savior. Jesus says, doing excellent things, keeping my word is the result of delighting in me. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. So how do we know if we truly love Jesus? How do we know if we love Jesus? Well, the easy part is we were designed to love regardless. Love, you could enter in the same word, worship. We were designed to worship. We were designed to give praise. We were designed to give adoration. We were designed to long for something. We were designed to want something. Like, we were literally designed to be people who always needed something else in order to chase after and pursue after. That's why, regardless of your life, pretty much you're not going to be content with anything except Jesus alone. Because he's the only thing that can meet the demand of our wants and our longing and our pursuit. The word love is used multiple ways in John. Think about it this way. In John 3.19 it says, People love the darkness rather than the light. That is, they wanted it. They desired it. They enjoyed it. They preferred it. They didn't love the darkness out of duty. They loved it out of craving. This is the type of love we're talking about with Jesus. John 12, 43. They loved the glory of man more than the glory of God. They wanted it. They, that's what loving it means. They longed for it. They craved human praise. That's how they loved it. Like no one in Scripture ever did anything that they did not love doing. No one in Scripture ever begrudgingly submits to something that they don't want to do. If it's sin, they want it, they love it, they crave it, they're all after it, and every single one of us in this room have been in that place. And you come to Jesus. And you don't come to Jesus because you work your way into it. But you come to Jesus because he's exposed himself to us. He's revealed himself to us. And he's come in and awakened our hearts and our minds and our understanding that everything that we're chasing, that we're longing after, that we're, that's never satisfying us, he comes in and he satisfies us with himself and himself alone. Not how often we pray to him, not how often we study about him, not how often we share others to him. We don't do those things in order to get into this loving relationship with Jesus, but rather he comes in and he flips the light bulb on in us when we believe in him and we enter into a loving relationship. We see Jesus and the rest of the world fades away. We see Jesus and can't ever imagine loving anything else greater than him. In him alone. How do you know if you love Jesus? Is if you're willing to prefer anything over him. You're willing to want anything over him. I'm not talking about wrestling with sin. If you're wrestling with sin on a daily basis and every single one of us would hold our hands up high and say, yes, I'm wrestling with sin on a daily basis, but there is a Holy Spirit conviction in you that every time we say yes to sin rather than Jesus, that conviction in us is saying you really want Jesus. You don't want this thing. 
You want Jesus. You don't want pornography. You want Jesus. You don't want the greed of money. You want Jesus. So stop giving yourself over to these sins that aren't satisfying to you and give yourself over to the Savior whom you truly love and desire and want and long for. The conviction that we feel, the battle that we feel, what Paul explained when he says, what I want, I don't go for. The thing I don't want is what I actually choose all the time. What he's saying there is I'm battling spiritual warfare within my own flesh and my own identity in Christ. The thing I want, the thing I love is Christ, yet I still choose sin because I'm battling with my flesh. I choose the thing I don't want. How do you know you're a Christian? How do you know if you're a believer? How do you know your love is if you're wrestling with those conversations in your own mind on a daily basis? Why do I keep going to the things I hate? I love Jesus. Doesn't mean it's going to work out perfectly every single day. We don't choose Jesus every single moment of the day. That's why we're being sanctified. So that we would choose him more and more and more and more as we get older and as we get older and as we go through life phases. We want to choose him. We want to long for him. We we want him. And so he's maturing us to be able to say yes to him and no to sin. That's happening every single day. That's one confirmation. The word love is used that way, that it is a longing for Jesus. When you read through the whole Gospel of John, just looking for specific moral behavior, because I I think what, What we have to see here is if love leads to commandments, what are the commandments? What are the commandments? If if I have the longing and the desire and that's one proof of it, and then the other proof of it is I will keep his word, I will keep his commandments, then what are those commandments? And if you look at the entire book of John, really all you're going to see are two specific moral behavioral commands that he is telling them to do for others. And one is in John 13, 34, and 35, where he gives the new commandment to love each other as Jesus has loved us. How has Jesus loved us? He's done a lot for us. He's fed us. And I'm more referring to the first century people. He fed them. He healed them. He taught them. He washed their feet and served them. He turned water into wine for them when they were in a bind at a wedding. Jesus raised people from the dead. Like Jesus served and did a lot of things for them. And so he's telling us, do for others as I've done for you. Love others as I have loved you. That's a broad commandment that encompasses anything and everything that Jesus has done for us. That's a lot. The other one was to... Peter, he says, if you keep my commandments, you will feed my sheep. Three times he tells Peter, Peter, feed my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Peter's like, I get the, you want me to feed the sheep? Care for the church. How do you care for the church? There's a lot of things to do in order to care for the church. The church is a bunch of needy people. We love you. I'm a needy person. You got to care for me too. Feed the sheep. That's daunting. 
the commandments aren't just tied to moral behavior. Guys, there's commandments in the Old Testament law, just the first five books of the Old Testament in the Torah. You have 613 commandments, not just 10 commandments, 613 commandments of do's and don'ts. We have commandments throughout the entire Old Testament with the prophets um, literally coming in. The people wanted someone to tell them a word from the Lord. They would come in, thus says the Lord, and they added a heck of a lot more commandments to the people. Live this way. Don't do this. Stop doing that. You get into the New Testament. The Sermon on the Mount is a list of commandments. Jesus is saying, you've heard it taught this way. Do it this way. You used to think anger was just don't murder somebody. Now you can't be angry at someone in your own heart and mind. Lust used to be if you actually physically committed adultery. Now you can't even think about it in your mind. Jesus comes in on the Sermon on the Mount and takes the commandments of the Old Testament and he puts them on steroids and says, now... What was physical, I'm also going to make it internal and emotional and and mental. You can't even sin there. So for us just to look at commandments, Jesus understands and knows that we would probably drive ourselves insane trying to keep up with every single one of them. So the command is not do everything right. What we see, the commands that are all throughout the book of John, are this. John 1.12, receive me. John 1.43, follow me. John 5.8, get up, crippled man. John 11.43, rise from the dead, Lazarus. John 12.36, believe in the light. John 14.1, believe in God. 14.11, believe me. 15.4, abide in me. 15.7, ask whatever you wish. 15.9, abide in my love. 20.22, 20, receive the Holy Spirit. These are the commandments that are all over the Gospel of John, that are all over the New Testament, that are all over the Old Testament. It's not just do's and don'ts, but rather it's come to a person. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He didn't say I will give you work. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. I'm going to give you a bunch of things to do and don't do. No, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. Come to me as a command. Come to me, receive me, love me. That's the first command. Love the Lord with all your heart and soul and mind. And the rest work themselves out. Obedience will only come if we are in a loving relationship with Jesus and Jesus alone, if we are constantly reminding ourselves, coming back to the fact that he's commanded us to receive him, follow him, trust him. Lord, I'm struggling here. I need you. I'm just going to come to you. I don't know how to work this out, whether I don't know what the right thing to do is, the wrong thing to do is. I don't know how to figure those things out, but Lord, I'm just going to come to you. I, I need to trust you. I need to receive you. I need to follow you. I need to love you. I need to abide in you. I need to pursue you. I need to figure that out with you. But I know as long as I come to you, you will provide me rest and your Holy Spirit will provide me direction and guidance on what I need to do. But Jesus, I need you. I need you and you alone.
only when we are constantly responding to Jesus' commands to receive him that we will run to his moral behavioral commands. Because we know that they're good for us. Like, think about it this way. If you just met somebody and they told you, I know exactly what you need to do in your life. Are you going to trust them? Probably not. But the more you interact with them, and the more you grow in friendship with them, and the more that you learn about who they are, who they are, not what they're telling you to do, but who they are, and you find them to be someone who's looking out for you, and wants good for you, and wants to love you, and, 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 and wants to care for you. Then when they start providing advice for you on here's what you should do or not do, don't you then begin finding yourself trusting that a little more and more? This is what we're talking about in this relationship with Jesus is it's not immediately into do and don't, but rather know Jesus. Love him and him alone. And so what are we promised if we love him? The sum of the promise is this. The Father, the Holy Spirit, and Jesus will be with you forever. That's the sum of the promise. We will, they'll never forsake you no matter where you are. Jesus piles up an amazing array of expressions through this passage of 15 through 24 in John 14. And I'm just going to walk through each of those promises that he is giving to us, those who love him, these are the promises. This is that extended love that the Father is providing to us. This is what's coming because of our love in Christ and his love in us. This abiding relationship that we have. Verse 16, and this is where I'm going to end it out. Verse 16, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. When he calls him another helper, he means that this helper is not the Father and it's not Jesus because Jesus was the first helper coming into the mix that the Father sent. Now he's sending another helper, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth. When Jesus returns to heaven, the Father will then give them the Holy Spirit. That's a promise. Verse 17, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. The helper, the Holy Spirit, is the Spirit of truth. That is, he will help you by opening your mind and your heart to glorious truth about Jesus. He's with you now. He's in you. He's in the presence of us. And he will be in us in a new way when he pours out the Holy Spirit after his ascension. We see this at the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit is poured out. And then from there on, everyone who receives Jesus by believing in the gospel receives the Holy Spirit and receives and enters into this relationship of the Holy Spirit revealing to us all that Jesus is, who he is, and all that he's capable. You realize, and not only do we just receive the Holy Spirit, but we also receive the power of who the Holy Spirit is. We receive the power and ability and the ministry of who the Holy Spirit is. Like, the, the reality is, 
Jesus came down and had a phenomenal ministry, right? But what is one of the things Jesus says towards the end of his ministry is, when I send the Holy Spirit, you will be able to do far more than what I did. Because Jesus, in his infinite power, infinite glory, in his deity, still limited himself to a physical body. Holy Spirit, not physical body, comes into every believer but also is in the presence of every believer. And the Holy Spirit can do things that Jesus in his physical body, physical limitations, withheld himself from being able to do. And so now, by us, literally, as he says, ask the Father and it will be done for you. How do we know it will be done for us? Because the Holy Spirit is present. Like, I wish, I hope, I pray that we would get out of our minds the things that we are afraid of when it comes to the Holy Spirit, the things that make us uncomfortable when it comes to the Holy Spirit, and that we would begin praying for those things to happen in our church, to happen in our community, to happen with those who are around us. And honestly, I want to be freaked out a little bit. I want to see the Holy Spirit do things that only could be explained that the Holy Spirit has done, not that Dwayne could explain by something that he just knows in Scripture alone. I want to see healings happen. Don't have a lot of experience with tongues, but would like to figure it out. Would love to see the Holy Spirit come in and do that because that is something that benefits the church. It benefits believers. It benefits the community around us. Ask whatever you wish in my name and it will be done for you because he sent the Holy Spirit to get it done for us. Not in our own ability and strength. It comes from Him and Him alone. That's why He's called the Helper. Verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Not only will the Holy Spirit come, Jesus comes as well. He will give us what orphans need. They need protection, provision, guidance. Jesus will be all that and more now and in this life and in the life to come. He will not leave us without Yet a little while in the world, verse 19, the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live. You will also live. He's telling them in three days I will rise from the dead. I will not start the ministry over again on the earth before the world, before the way he did before. But he's saying I will appear to you. You will see me. I will assure your hearts by a bodily resurrection that you will see. And because I live, you will also live. Jesus' ascension was not for the world, but was for the believers to have assurance in their faith that he is who he says he is, and he did what he said he was going to do. Because we have that assurance, we can then love and trust and follow and believe he is who he says he is. And because he lives, when we die, we will live. Because he guarantees that for us. Verse 20, in that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. You will have assurance he's going to give it to us, assurance that he and the Father are one, and that you and I are bound together forever, I and you, and you and me. If death couldn't sever it, nothing will sever it. Nothing's going to separate it. If death could not separate Jesus from the Father, nothing's going to separate us from the interaction that we have with Jesus. That's a guarantee and a promise to us. 
Verse 21, and he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. He's saying my father and I have a special close family love for you. And in that love, I will manifest myself to you. I will show you things about me that the world cannot see or know. They are experienced by those who love me and treasure me and receive me and keep my commandments. I want to see more of this love that the Father is giving to those who love him, who love Jesus, his son. Verse 23, and this is in answer to the question from Judas, he says, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. And I'll end with this one. The word home is used only one other time in John 14. It's namely in verse 2. In my father's house are many rooms. It's the same word as home in verse 23. If it were not so, we would have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. What he's saying there is, if you love me and keep my word, my Father and I will come to you, and in all your suffering, in all your trials, we're going to give you heaven on earth. We have prepared a dwelling for you in heaven. We are that dwelling. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit are the dwelling. We've prepared a dwelling for you in heaven. We are it. And if you have me and you keep my word and you love me, we will come and we will also be that dwelling for you now. They will come. Come and make a home with us. Guys, that home is the abiding relationship that we have with the Father through Jesus Christ by the means of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, let's love Him. Let's, out of our love for Him, let's keep His sweet commandments to receive Him and abide in Him. Overflow with His fullness for others in love. He will come to you. The Holy Spirit will come. The Father will come. They will protect you, provide for you, lead you. You won't be an orphan in this life. They will comfort you, love you in a very personal way that the world does not know until they come to know Jesus. They will manifest themselves to us. They will make us their home. That's what it means to abide, to fall in love with Jesus, and as a result, to see his commandments as good and pleasing and enjoyable. It's an invitation on our part to see more of God, to delight in all that He is. So continue weekly, daily, hourly, minute by minute, follow the commands that Jesus gave us throughout all of the book of John. Receive me, follow me, trust me, believe me, love me with all your heart with all your soul, with all your mind. As the band comes up, I'm going to pray and we'll enter into a time of communion. Father, we thank you so much for, for this loving relationship that we have with you. God, you've done everything to make this relationship possible. God, there was, there was no possible way for us to work our way into a loving relationship with you. There was no possible way for us to earn your affection. But while we were still sinners, you sent your son Jesus to sacrifice his life for us in order to bring us into relationship with you. And it was not because you were lacking community. It was not because you 
needed praise or adoration, but rather it's because you knew that we needed you. We need you, Lord. And you made it happen. And Father, we thank you for that. God, we thank you that you loved us. And because of that, we are now able to love you. And as we grow in that love for you, God, it produces in us a desire to be obedient to your word, a desire to want to know more of you. And one of the ways that we know more of you is by running to your scriptures that testify about your goodness and your pleasure and your everything, your gratefulness, your holiness, your purity, your perfection. God, let us see more of that. We know that it pleases you to reveal your son to us. God, please overwhelm us with the revelation of your son Jesus in our hearts and in our minds. Overwhelm us with your grace that you extend to us. God, we know that there are days that you love us in spite of our sin, but we also know that because of the gospel of Jesus Christ and because we have received his righteousness, that you don't just love us in spite of us, but you love us and delight in us because we have received the righteousness of Christ. You enjoy hanging out with us. You enjoy being in relationship with us. God, let us feel that on our part. Let us feel your delight. Let us feel your pleasure. Let us increase in our love for Jesus. We thank you, Lord. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to a sermon from the District Church. For more information about us, please visit www.thedistrict.church. Additionally, if any of our sermons have brought encouragement to you, would you please let us know by emailing us at info at